listening to Trek Companion, Stephen Embry's favorite podcast. <laughs> this is episode 24. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing DS9's fourth season episodes, Accession, uh, Rules of Engagement, uh, Hard Time, and Shattered Mirror. Here we go. Session Season 4, Episode 16, Production Number 489, Original Air Date, February 26th, 1996, Written by Jane Espenson, Directed by Les Landau, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Include Rosalind Chow as Keiko O'Brien, Robert Simons as Vedic Porta, Camille Saviola as Kai Opaka, Hannah Hate as Molly O'Brien, David Carpenter as Onara, Grace Sandarsky as Ensign Latara, Laura Jane Salvato as Gia, and Richard Libertini as Akorin Lan. <laughs> A centuries-old Bajoran vessel mysteriously exits the wormhole, and its passenger is immediately beamed to the infirmary. Akora Milan, who we learn is a legendary Bajoran poet, is shocked to learn that more than 200 years have passed since he left Bajor. He tells Sisko and Kira that he had an accident in space and was saved by the Bajoran prophets, which led him to believe that they had chosen him to be the emissary. Finally, Sisko, who has never been comfortable with the role of emissary, has a reason to step aside. But will he regret this decision when Leon starts making radical changes to Bajoran society? So your mind's made up. You're going to step aside. Akorn will make a far better emissary than I ever was. He's Bajoran. He's a revered poet, and he wants the job. Besides, Starfleet will be thrilled. They never liked the idea that the Bajorans saw me as a religious figure. Steve? Mm-hmm. Are you of Bajor? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know it. Who are you? <laughs> Hmm. Well, this is kind of the turning point. So this is certainly um, one of those episodes that maybe you don't realize is so significant in the narrative of DS9 until you rewatch it, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, from here on, um, he accepts the role as emissary. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get an episode, I believe, in the next season, or maybe it's the sixth season. Um, Rapture, remember that one where he's like, he actually lets what he believes are messages from the prophets um, dictate his actions, which is, you know, another step in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets some, he gets, what, is it, what are they? He gets more peptide chlorides in his head? What are those things? Right, called? right, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and that's not something, you know, you say that. That's something I like about this episode. So, yeah, so there's that scene uh, after he has his um, vision of Kaiopaka. He goes to the doctor, and uh, the doctor prescribes to Cisco some chemical or something that's going to stop these visions from coming. Cisco does not even hesitate. He's like, yep, give it to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yet, he still makes all the, the the right decisions, the decisions that we assume the prophets even wanted him to make, um, even without having to have those extra visions. I like that. That says something mm-hmm. about, you know, who he is. But once he goes to see the prophets at the end, you know, you are of Bajor. So, so it's cool because... Well, I should say also, I like, I love that opening. Who are you? I am the emissary. With the other, you know, when this other person is saying, that's a very good open. Mm-hmm. So I like mm-hmm. that a lot. But the whole episode, you know, it kind of has this, um, this feeling where you don't, you don't realize. It, you, I, for a while, I even thought it was had something had a lot more to do with this other emissary than it did. It's not until you get to the wormhole, um, and. They say they sent him. He says, "What? Why?" The the other emissary says, "If you if I'm not your emissary, why did you send me 200 years in the future?" You know, and said, "We sent you for the Cisco. We sent you to help him." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it kind of twists the entire episode so that it does have this this much more significant meaning, as I mentioned earlier, kind of in the narrative of the entire series. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are the things I like about it. We're going to get to the things that bother me in a minute. Um, but what, what do you guys think? Um, I definitely agree. It's, um, it's with you. It's a, it's a turning point. I think you're right. From here on out, we don't see that uncomfortable pause every time there's a mm-hmm. mention of the emissary from um, Cisco anymore. Um, you know, you kind of get that little, that cringe, you know, even in the yeah, beginning yeah. when he first had to do that, he was like, do I really have <laughs> to do this? So yeah, we don't see that going forward. And, and the narrative it makes a lot of a lot of sense. It's well, it's written well. 
need these people yeah, you're breaking to help, up. Um, drive. I'm breaking up. Okay, you're good now. Okay. Um, where was I? Yeah, you need these types of episodes or these characters to kind of drive the main character forward to, to make in their progression. So the, it was kind of, to me, it was kind of inevitable looking back that um, Cisco needed this push in a way. Mm-hmm. See, I'm, you, you I, don't have a cold this time. Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with what you said. I also thought uh, Nana Visitor had a great performance yes, in this in general. I mean, she had a lot, you know, a lot to do. I mean, she's dealing with this whole... Um, Dejara bit and she's also there uh, it's always interesting to see uh, her and like Kira and Cisco interact regarding the emissary thing you know because you have a first officer captain mm-hmm. relationship but you also have a religious follower and a religious figure kind of thing so it's it's interesting I, I like that um, like the scenes so after uh, the new emissary um, once Bejor to go back to this Dejaris, this cast system, and mm-hmm. Kira attempts to be an artist. <laughs> I, yeah. I like that they play those scenes with her, even those like when she's trying to make something out of looks like silly putty or whatever. <laughs> um, that is not played for comedy; it is played for drama. You know, mm-hmm. and it would be so easy to play it, even neutrally, or even easier to play it as a joke. You know. Because mm-hmm. these things are funny looking, and it's a very, very tale of the episode. I think she, you know, she sets down something, gives Cisco after obviously she they get rid of the Dejaris again, and she doesn't have to do that. She gives him something, and that is slightly humorous. But you know, the bulk of it, every scene with her, it is drama. Um, and when she goes and announces her resignation to Cisco, um, it's it's touching, you know. And she mm-hmm, is incredibly, mm-hmm. incredibly conflicted. There's the scene when, before the emissary, the new emissary, um, or the other emissary, as this episode was originally going to be titled, uh, before, right before he comes out and gives his speech about we need to return to the Dejaris, um, Kira and Odo are kind of up on that, the, the upper area there in the promenade, and. Um, Odo says to her, your faith, seems to me that your faith has led you to a kind of a contradiction, you know, because he's saying, how can you, I don't remember exactly how he put it, but he, how can you feel, how could you feel before that for sure Cisco was the emissary and there can only be one emissary and that emissary is uh, whoever the prophets say he is. And now you're saying it's this person that doesn't all jive together, mm-hmm. you know. And I really like her response, which is, um, that's the thing about faith. Uh, if you have it, you don't need an explanation. And if you don't, I can't explain it to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of felt like they were both right in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Odo was right in his, his um, observations. And she was right in her response. It was a good scene. Mm-hmm. Well, now let me say what what kind of oh you know we should also mention there's the B story where um, um, Keiko returns to the station and she announces she's going to have a baby, which is going to have a, a fun <laughs> spin on, uh, later in this this season, right? At the end of this mm-hmm, season, mm-hmm. okay, cool um, with Kira and stuff. Um, and then, so there's the B story of O'Brien missing, hanging out with um, Bashir. Um, and that's, that's a, it's a decent B story. I, I like some of that stuff. I like some of the, the jokes that, that, um, Quirk makes about the, <laughs> goes straight into their ears. <laughs> yeah. And he does say ears. He says, that's the thing with babies. <laughs> Everything that gets in their hands goes straight to their ears. He does say ears, not lobes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it just, cause it sounds funnier. But and then he says something about, uh, uh, see, see Brock acquire, acquire Brock acquire. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that stuff's that stuff's kind of fun. Um, but here's what bugs me about about the episode. Now, I like the idea of an episode that achieves what the end of this episode achieves. When he goes with the other emissary to see the prophets, the prophets make it clear that he is the Cisco. He is the emissary. Um, that the other guy, they just sent him to help Cisco. And suddenly the entire episode has this point of once and for all, 
establishing who he is, making and, and allowing him to be comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I like that the last scene does accomplish that. However, I don't feel like that the first 35 minutes of the episode sets up the last 10 minutes because they set it up as if it's going to be a very different thing. Like the Dejaris cast, you know, reinstating this Dejaris cast system and the drama that that um, introduces. That's a really fundamental shift with the entire society. And it just seemed like it should have been a lot uh, bigger than it was with this, with this new emissary. And then all of a sudden, instead of, here's what bugs me, instead of like really working it out, I feel like they have, so they have this scene where this other Vedic literally kills another Vedic, right? Because he says he's of an unclean mm-hmm. Dejar's cast. It's really harsh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to hear you again, Steve. Um, so by doing that, it's, it's all, it's just so sudden and it feels like Jarring. an easy way out, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they needed something to push Cisco. It was, it was a little over the top. Yeah, it was just, yeah, it was over the top. It wasn't in keeping with all the rest of it. So that, and then it just kind of kills the last 10 minutes for me because that's kind of all I'm thinking about. Yeah, they kind of set up that Vedic as a nice, sweet old man, too. And then all of a sudden he just he kills somebody. <laughs> What's up with that? <laughs> I pushed him off. He's yeah. hardcore. <laughs> so, no, I, I mean, I, I see what you're, I see your point. Um, I think they just needed something to kind of push Cisco over the edge. Like, pro- they, uh, from your point of view, they have, they probably could have made a different decision in that area. It is a little bit jarring. Yeah. So instead of pushing him over the edge, I think if they would mm-hmm. had a more steady, you know, getting up to this point in a more steady fashion. Mm-hmm. All, they, the, all they really needed is um, Wynn to come in and um, antagonize Cisco. I think that would have done it. <laughs> <laughs> they do make a reference to Wynn, I believe, when he says, yes. like, mm-hmm. she approved returning to the caste system. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like of course she would. She would. Anything yeah. to throw the Bajor into chaos to make it easier for her to take over. Um, so, what's this episode about? Um, Brock acquiring, <laughs> finding out who you are. Yeah, sounds good. It's pretty. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, you know, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> well, it's 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 one step more interesting because what what I what I've got here is. Being placed in this position mm-hmm. to now understand what you had before and who you were before. And even though you didn't like it, now you're in a position where you're going to, you know, fight to get it back mm-hmm. and realizing that you're not as complete a person without it, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it did define you. Yeah. And it's kind of everything kind of sets up well for me. Even Starfleet has to accept it now because they want Pejor in the Federation so mm-hmm. anything else? No, that sounds good That's only, only the fact that every time O'Brien has a baby weird things happen as you can see <laughs> on Orp's face <laughs> we didn't mention that that was an amusing thing to me I like the next gen reference yeah yeah okay well let's move on Six degrees for ascension. Oh, Steve, one or two? One. Okay, so this one was incredibly difficult. Every darn person who's in this one uh, was never in Star Trek again. So this is one of my, not exactly a traditional six degrees, because I couldn't. Uh, So Richard Libertini plays the other emissary, Akoram Lan. But Ira Bear originally wanted another Star Trek actor to play the character, uh, an actor that was had a featured role um, as different characters in both Star Trek V and Star Trek VI. Name him. He was actually in other Star Trek as well, but mm-hmm. I thought if oh. I said the other thing he was in, it would make it too easy. Oh, so you want a, someone playing two different characters in V and VI. How Who about was Ira Bear's original choice to play the other emissary in this right. episode? Okay, well then, probably, how about David Warner? That is correct, it was David Warner. Good. And what was his next-gen performance? Um, that Cardassian, I'm blanking on the name, but, <laughs> yep. you know, what, yeah. Part two. Yeah, there, are there, are lights. Lights. Yeah. <laughs> there are four lights. There are four lights. Adam, O'Brien and Worf make reference to the next-gen episode <laughs> in which Worf delivers Keiko's baby. Name that episode. 
Oh, Lordy. Looks like Steve's going to have a 2-0 lead. We're <laughs> only one episode in. Why couldn't you have said two, Steve? I knew the David Warner answer. I have no idea what the name of the episode is. Uh, let me think. Okay, so the one where he delivered Molly. Mm-hmm. Why would he deliver Molly? Yeah, the starship was messed up and everyone was stuck everywhere. Um And there's so many of those that have similar names, kind of, you know, and they and and stuff. And I and I'm probably I'm just blanking on which one it is. Um, <sighs> is this the this is the one where um, Picard's stuck in the elevator with kids? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, which is probably a nightmare he had for decades. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, you know I'm I'm just uh, I'm I'm blinking I'm blinking. And uh, you gave up already, right, Caesar? Yep. Disaster. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a disaster. Something like that. <laughs> Neither of us knew the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a disaster. <laughs> Moving on. Rules of Engagement, Season 4, Episode 17, Production Number 490, Original Air Date, April 8th, 1996, Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore, Story by Bradley Thompson and David Weddle, Directed by LeVar Burton, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Ron Canada as Chapak, Deborah Strang as Talara, and Christopher Michael as Helm Officer. While under Klingon attack, Worf ordered for the Defiant to fire on a vessel that decloaked in front of it. Apparently unaware that it was a Klingon transport until it was too late. Now Worf, with the help of Sisko, must defend himself in an extradition hearing. The Klingon advocate, Chopak, accuses Worf of negligence brought on by his inherent bloodlust and wants to bring Worf back to the Klingon Empire to be judged by his people. I should not have accepted the mission. That was your first mistake. What was your second? When the ship decloaked... I should have checked the target before I fired. You're damned right you should have checked. You knew there were civilian ships in the area. You fired at something you hadn't identified. I'll tell you, my favorite thing in this episode is when um, the prosecutor uh, gets a rise out of uh, Worf and Worf knocks him down and then it cuts to Cisco and the look on his face. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, ugh. Yeah. Face, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's uh, what do you what do you think of this one, uh, Adam? Um, you know, this is one of the few t- few episodes that since we've been discussing that I like less now than when I first yep. saw it. I feel and, the same way, and it's because it, it's not because of the performances. It's basically it's kind of cookie cutter. We see these you know these types of we've seen yeah. throughout Star Trek these types of trial things, and this one seems a little bit weaker than most. Um, mm-hmm. Because there's um, some, there are th- some good th- there trial are... and trek, and this is not as yeah, good. I, I love, I love the trial. Some of the, the trial episodes are some of my favorite trek episodes. Um, the original series, Court Martial. I have watched. That's one of those episodes that, like, I'll just put it on while I'm doing something else. I've watched it so many times. I just like having it on. I like that episode a lot. And then, of course, you know, Next Gen has Measure of a Man, and even even DS9 had uh, the Dax thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which had a similar structure in that, you know, there was somebody on trial that really didn't talk very much. Yeah. Um, but this episode, it just doesn't. It's 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 an okay idea, but it actually just doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. For me, it's kind of a stretch almost that they would even allow. Well, now Worf now to to let an extradition hearing be held. I mean, I know, I know it's like it's fiction, it's Star Trek, but I mean, it just kind of didn't wasn't believable to me. Wait, 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 wait. Like, Star Trek's not real. <laughs> <laughs> Settle down, but I don't know. I mean, in the heat of battle, I don't think it. I think it was in negligence on Worf, but not to the point where he needs to be court-martialed or extradited to this other country. I mean, you know, back to his home world. I don't know. It was just a bit of a stretch for me. And um, I mean, there are good. Uh, there were good scenes in this episode. I, I still enjoyed it. Um, my fa- actually, my favorite scenes aren't in the courtroom. They're the last scenes in the episode with um, Worf and Captain Sisko. I really enjoyed that scene. But yeah. for the most part, I thought it was kind of a weak trial episode. Well, I have to ask, guys, what do you think about this whole... 
sort of breaking the fourth wall thing where, you know, as they're um, talking yeah. to the prosecutor, it, instead of showing them on the stand, it shows them in the actual, it's almost like a flashback, but they're talking into the camera. Um, I remember it being used in um, uh, Reservoir Dogs. Uh, Ira Bear said he had just seen oh, it's a Spike Lee movie Clockers I think it's called something like that uh, and they did it in there and that kind of inspired him so they wrote this into the episode this was not something that LeVar Burton the director of this episode just added this was written in Ira Bear, Ron Moore, they wrote that in um, it's what 15 almost 15 years old and it still feels weird to me. Mm-hmm. But, well, I think, you know, in general, I like different things, you know, when Trek occasionally does something a little different, you know, something that, you know, they would have had to get permission from the producers or whatever, you know, to do mm-hmm. something because generally it's got to look and that's the way it's got to be. And some people would argue that gets boring. But, you know, when you have something like this, generally, you got to kind of stick to a formula to an extent in the way it's it's shot and produced or it would just be too jarring. You know, I mean, there's a continuity and all that. But, um, yeah, in this case, it doesn't like I don't hate it. It just it just take it's it's a little jarring and strange. You know, it doesn't feel right for Trek or something. Caesar, what do you think of this? I think they just felt they probably had a weak story and they needed to spice it up a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah, something interesting. <laughs> well, do you guys remember how uh, you know uh, the original series, the only two part they ever did the Menagerie? You could make the argument that was kind of a kind of a court trial episode. Um, and in that episode, it was it, it was structured in a way that they were talking in the court, and then they would turn and see this like you know video document of the actual event. Mm-hmm. We kind of said that in what a next gen. What is it when Riker gets they do the holodeck thing or they oh yeah thing yeah. there. Oh yeah yeah yeah. I don't yeah I don't know that, that it's just this seems different than that. You know, this, 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 this is a, this is kind of a, you know, I don't know. It's, it just kind of, again, I don't hate it. It just, I'm just, I'm just suggesting that I I appreciate the idea of wanting to do it a little bit differently than the average court martial episode. Um, But here it doesn't work. And say a menagerie is something where they did it a little bit differently and it did work. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I agree with you, Caesar, that, I remember liking this episode more back then. In fact, I, I want to tell a brief story. The thing I remember best about this, from uh, Steve, when did this air? It was uh, April 8th, 96. 96. Okay, so it really has been uh, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember talking to you on the phone mm-hmm. right after we saw this episode. Because, you know, uh, I, I lived in Texas at the time, mm-hmm. and Steve lived in Missouri. So we would talk on the phone occasionally. Uh, after Star Trek episodes and he was so excited he was like oh man did they, at the end do you remember this Steve did you tell me at the not end not really but I believe okay. you <laughs> when he's uh, talking to Worf and he says whatever that was your first mistake what was your second and Worf says I should have scanned the ship first and Cisco says you're damned right you should have you know you were uh-huh. really like you love it when he got like pissed off. Like it was really, uh, I, I still like that as about, like you said, Adam, about as good as anything in the episode. Um, yeah. but that part of it. Yeah. But I agree with you guys that I, I like it less a little bit now than I did. Mm. Yeah. But the whole, the I, whole honestly, episode. because of that conversation 15 years ago, uh-huh. I remember him being even more animated. We're <laughs> 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 like, like cousin, like, you know, <laughs> damn right. You should have. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, now we've seen at least a couple times in one season now that Worf's joined the cast um, uh-huh. of Cisco, how he's handling Worf and these kind of things. And uh-huh. I think it's part of his Worf, and we're used to seeing, you know, Picard with Worf and how he would dress him down. And I think in this case, too, what's interesting is that, you know, the whole time they're in the court thing, of course, he's backing up his decision. He's saying, yes, if I did it, had to do it again, I would do it the same way. But then when it's all over and it's not, uh-huh. he's not your defense attorney, he's your, he's your captain. And it's like, you know what, that was a mistake, and I'm going to tell you about uh-huh. it, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, then, oh, no. Go ahead. Um, 
Yeah, it was but Picard never really, except for I can. I was thinking about that. The only time I think Picard ever, ever really yelled at him was what in um, First Contact, and I think yeah, we've seen Cisco yeah. yell at him a couple times now. Uh-huh. Um, so it's 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 different. You never really see anybody yell at Worf <laughs> and get in his face until Cisco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and even that next gen uh, reference you just made that was different. That was whenever Picard was clearly being you know. Yeah, he was under the unreasonable was, and uninfluenced. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I, well, I, I feel bad for O'Brien. The only time he ever gets to take command is in a hypothetical <laughs> flashback situation. Yeah, if you were captain, would yeah, you have made the same decision? Yeah. The funniest thing in that to me, and it, it's just funny to me that normally, it, you know. Uh, on the Defiant, he's kind of the helmsman-y guy up there in front of Worf. But in his in his fantasy, when he's captain, who's the helmsman? It's just like the most generic-looking Starfleet guy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like his name was probably um, Helmsman McHelmsman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it should have had some kid up in there or something, some child yeah. or whatever. Well, oh, it wasn't yeah. like Cisco. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Picard, you know, put somebody crazy. Um, so the talking into the camera thing I don't the episode doesn't work but if they hadn't done that it still probably wouldn't work now um, Ron Moore writer has said that he thinks it doesn't work because they just you know it's a wharf on trial and he doesn't talk for three quarters of the episode (sighs) I think that's getting at it, but I don't know that that's. It, it, it is that it doesn't have any kind. Happens. It doesn't have any like focus. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. what is this about? It, it feels more like it's about these little, these tricks of say talking to the camera. It feels like <laughs> it's more about structure than it is content. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but I don't think if they had if they had fixed these other things, it would have made it that much better. It would have just. Uh-huh. Um, it would have left it more exposed, which is probably the reason why 15 years later we like it less than we did 15 years ago. Because at least 15 years ago, the first time you see it, it's the structure, and the structure is kind of interesting. And then as you, you know, with subsequent viewings, you look past the structure every time, and you see more and more of the content, and you realize that the content is lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are at least some good ideas, like that last scene, we, as we discussed <clears throat> Well, was, I want to mention one, one more thing about that last scene. It's fu- it was funny to me that um, Cisco has to ta- almost talk Worf into being a Klingon. You know, Klingons are gregarious. They like to drink and part whenever there's a party. That's how you kind of think of a Klingon. And <laughs> Cisco's the one who's like, come on, let's go have a drink and celebrate. You know, <laughs> I, I like it. Well, in that last scene. Um, I like the idea that, yeah, that that uh, what is Worf has the line, you know, life is a lot more difficult in this red uniform. I like that he's still learning. Um, these differences Um, I like the idea of a the last thing I want to say here is I I like the idea of a Klingon lawyer you know a Klingon prosecutor Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's kind of cool have we seen that in Trek before? in the movies right John Shuck played uh, what's his name and yeah we saw it in Enterprise it's an Enterprise we see a lawyer in Enterprise but that's later obviously yeah later Okay, so do um, you guys got anything for what this is about? It's hard to say whenever you feel like the episode doesn't quite work. What was it trying to be about? Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a hard time figuring out what this one's about. Even this idea that um, civilians were killed, even that idea... You know, civilians uh, getting killed in the middle of this battle might have had some interesting things in it, but even that, they kind of um, blow the bubble on that one because they say, "Oh, it actually, totally didn't happen." Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of funny. They'll they'll do something like literally give O'Brien twenty years <laughs> <laughs> memories of being in prison that is going to affect his character forever and ever, but they can't let Worf kill some civilians that we don't even see. You know? Yeah. 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 And live with that guilt. Yeah. It's odd. Yeah. I don't think he would, it should have been extradited in the first place. You know, I mean, I mean, if you think about it, command, I mean, I don't, he didn't, 
I, I don't know. I just didn't think he really made a mistake. I mean, I guess... Well, Cisco in the, says that in, in, a, in, a, in the heat of battle. If you're in a Klingon military, fine. Mm-hmm. You, you shoot first, ask questions later. But that's not how it works mm-hmm. in Starfleet, even if it means putting your ship and your crew at risk. Yeah. You still I'm thinking to, about... I'm not taking it too literally. Yeah. So, so I don't know... Um, I don't know. I don't really have anything for what it's about. I'm trying to pull it out of my boutoir, and I'm not coming up with anything. It's about scanning the ship before you shoot it. Exactly. Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Six degrees for rules of engagement. What are we at here? Uh, one and oh? Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, all right, uh, Adam, you can go first this time. Uh, Ron Canada plays Chipok, the Klingon advocate that attempts to prosecute Worf. In Next, Gen, Next Gen's fifth season, <clears throat> he played Martin Benbeck in the episode The Masterpiece Society. Benbeck attempts to prevent the Federation from mingling uh, in his closed society, even though they need the Enterprise's help uh, because their colony is threatened by a rogue fragment from a collapsed star. What was different about the people at the colony on Moab 4? What was different about them? Yeah, why did they not want... Why were they isolated? Why did they not want um, the Enterprise people coming and helping them? Why did he not want it, at least? I'm trying to think of the episode. Um, I can't even remember the episode. I feel bad now. Getting old. I don't, I don't know. You take it, Steve. Um, was it they were genetically engineered as like a closed society? Yeah. That is correct. They were genetically engineered. Okay, Steve. Yes. Two or no. Canada also played Fessick in the Voyager uh, fifth season episode Juggernaut. Fessick was a Malon captain on a waste export ship. Fessick seeks Voyager's help after his ship is in danger of destroying a huge sector of space because the waste containers have failed. The tanks have failed because they have been sabotaged by a uh, lowly core laborer named Dremk. Why has he done this? Why did he uh, sabotage the waste containment units? Mm. Um, I can vaguely remember this. Um was it something like it was like his motives like environmental in nature? I mean, it was like an yes. environmental kind of episode. Like, yeah, he was protesting the activity of something like that. Exactly. Yes, he was trying to show the Malons that it was unsafe to export waste this way. Okay. Yes, it was a the environmental episode of Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they play that in the schools and at, at Al Gore's picnics. Of course. <laughs> Moving on. Hard Time, Season 4, Episode 18, Production Number 491, Original Air Date, April 15th, 1996, Teleplay by Robert Hewitt Wolf, Story by Daniel Keyes Morin and Lynn Barker, Directed by Alexander Singer, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Rosalind Chow as Keiko O'Brien, Margot Rose as Rin, Hannah Ate as Molly O'Brien, F.J. Rio as Muniz, and Craig Wasson as Ichar. A shaken O'Brien <clears throat> returns to Deep Space Nine after his mind has been altered to make him believe that he has spent the last 20 years in prison. Accused of espionage by the Argothi, he was given the painful memories of a 20-year incarceration. Although the process only took a few hours, the effect on O'Brien is clearly devastating. And while he's told what he went through was not real, the memories are too vivid to be dismissed. As time goes by, O'Brien's nerves begin to fray, and he begins imagining seeing Ichar, his cellmate, who O'Brien refuses to tell anyone about. The O'Brien that was your friend died in that cell! He's not dead. He just needs a little help, that's all. Stay away from me. I don't want your help. I don't want your friendship. I just want to be left alone! Steve, kick us off on this episode. Well, this is uh, the concept is one of those that kind of plays with your mind, and I'm, I'm reminded it's not the episode's not like Inner Light, but we saw this kind of thing with Inner Light also with uh, Next Gen, where um, basically you have a whole lot of stuff inserted in your head, and that affects your 
perception of the passage of time and so on. So it's really kind of a, a metaphysical notion to me. It's this idea of, are we just a product of our memories? Um, can you, you know, this, obviously you can't do this in real life. The closest but we experience are dreams and so forth, you know? There and is so a difference here. We're not, we're not just implanting memories, right? Or correct me if I'm wrong, but they are, they were setting it up in a way that he actually was able to make his own choices in this. Experience. Yeah, that, that's true. That's right? true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, which I guess also has in common with inner light because mm-hmm. Picard um, also, in, in a way, he was during that probe. That time it was just compressed time. So yeah, it, it wasn't just implanted memories. Yeah, it's so it's and since we can't really experience that in real life we can we can set up imagination things and dreams where we kind of control outcomes but we can't have this notion of compressed time it's very hard to wrap your mind around you know and so it's a it's a it's a strange thing it also raises questions of could he really die in this thing and what if he had starved and the you know these kind of things which i guess well, yeah are, I, yeah i was thinking what if he knew that it that it was some kind of a memory <laughs> implant thing yeah, I would have just let myself die, right? You know. <laughs> yeah, what happens? Yeah, yeah. ended sooner. <clears throat> um, correct me if I'm wrong. Did they say so? Is Echar, <clears throat> excuse me, a creation of O'Brien's mind, or is it part of the program? I assume it's part of the program, but how he reacts to Echar is, mm-hmm. you know, is is his choice. Hmm. Yeah, so, it's definitely his choice because even Bashir has that line near the end when he says. The what's her name? Argrathy, I think Argrather, Argrathy. Yeah, you know they. I don't remember the line exactly, but they they tried to strip you of your human, of your humanity, and for one brief moment they succeeded. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that implies that he did. He was self aware. He did have choice, mm-hmm. um, but at, at the same time, it implies that they set it up. You know, program it say with each R to breach those results. Right. Um, so I'll tell you, one thing that's always gotten me on this, there are a lot of cool things in this episode. Mm-hmm. I'll say this, I love the opening. I think the opening is awesome. When he's he's sitting there, it's like uh, over the shoulder, it's like, you know, from behind, and he's drawing in the sand, and then the the light comes along and wipes it, the sand clean. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very effective moment, a very good opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but this whole episode is once it gets to the point where he's near the end, he pulls a phaser out of a storage locker, number forty-seven, by the way, and mm-hmm. <laughs> tries to he puts it to his neck like he's going to kill himself. I've never quite bought it. So the two things that bother me about this episode: <laughs> one, I've never quite bought that. Although it softens the blow that once Bashir shows up, he explains that it's more like he's doing it to protect others. He's afraid of what he could do to Molly mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. as opposed to wanting to end his own suffering. You know, I, that makes it slightly mm-hmm. more easy for me to buy. Mm-hmm. That's one. And two, this is another one of those episodes where, <clears throat> like, you know, where something crazy, incredible, drastic happens. And honestly, this is something that, if they did it right, it would have to have repercussions for the entire rest of not just not just the man's life, but the rest of this the television series. Yeah, and we probably I, I don't remember really getting anything else, seeing no. anything else, you know. Yeah, and that oh. takes that that makes it such a cheat for me. So I don't know. Maybe it would have been better if it had been five years instead of twenty. <laughs> yeah. Twenty is such a long time in a human's life. I mean, that mm-hmm. is like. Not to mention twenty years in this one little cell. Mm-hmm. That's that's crazy. Yeah, that's really nutty when you think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way, but I'd have to agree with you. I remember when I first saw you know I think a castaway with Hanks and his, his yeah. beard and long hair and what you know, I think he only what spent three four years on that island mm-hmm. and castaway. So um yeah I'd, I'd agree with you. I mean I think there's so the thing that I would think about it is like. I understand where they're coming from, how devastating this would have been for him, but they don't really show enough or give you enough feeling for that to, to, for it to penetrate you. I like, <clears throat> I like the idea of it. I just don't think we got enough. And it was probably just a lack of time. You know, there's only so much you can do in 45 minutes, but um, possibly if they would have shortened the, the sentence time to say four years, like cast away, it might've, might've been more believable, but and that to me. And also he didn't have to put that, that phaser to his neck like that. 
you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was just some other dramatic climax. I think would have been more effective. I mean, you guys tell me, did you did you buy it the first time you ever saw it that he was really considering suicide? Um, did that seem consistent with the character that you'd known of after all these years from Next Gen and DS Nine of Miles O'Brien? And do you buy it today? Well, well, what what is inconsistent is that I mean, I I can I can fathom that i suppose given the extent of the of the what he went through 20 years and i mean if that really was in your head and, and and that's what you felt like you experienced and then he's going through all this stuff too what's inconsistent is that like you said there's no repercussions ever later you know it's like he's the same he becomes kind of the same guy later on and that's all you know and, and it doesn't and it doesn't seem to matter. Those well, two things together make it hard yeah. for me to buy. I can, I can buy. I, can, I mean, I could fathom that somebody, no matter how you know bold and strong they are, and you know even keeled in general, going through that kind of thing, you know, could get to that point. You know, but okay, even if that that happened, I think that he reintegrates into his old life too fast. If if it was that extreme, and it should have been for twenty years. Mm-hmm. It should have been something that should have that was extreme enough that you could contemplate suicide. Yes, but that he in- integrates into his old life so fast. Yeah, you know? he's well, wearing his saying. uniform. Yeah, it's, it's, one it's not it's, just that they yeah. don't have any repercussions in the future episodes. Although, as I said earlier, I agree with that too. Um, that bothers me. But it's even within this one episode. It's it's so yeah. fast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I have to say that the the scene where he's relearning what the names of his tools are with uh, Jake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did that remind anybody else of Uhura learning to talk? Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that goofiness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just think there, there was too much to fit in this episode to show it all. I mean, you know, I think clearly there's a a passage of time from when he gets back to the station to the point where he's about to shoot himself. I'm I'm. I mean, the way they try and set it up, it, it seems like there's a, a good deal of time that passes. I think, what well, when Bashir comes to see him, he says he hasn't seen his psychiatrist in over a week. So clearly, there's been a, an extended period of time going on in this episode. But the, it's it it's it's really I mean, it's really hard to get all that in in 45 minutes. Um, I don't think they should have made this a two parter or anything like that. But it it's a lot to kind of make you feel that I'm with Steve. I can believe that he would want to kill himself through what he went through. But at the same time, we don't really feel what he went through mm-hmm. in a, in a, in a large degree. So, I mean, I agree with you, Brian. And then I don't at the same time. Well, that's probably why it may have been a better choice to make the elapsed uh, time shorter and make his reaction a little, less extreme with the whole suicide thing. And that might've made the whole thing easier to buy. Yeah. I, I like that they're trying, that they do something more extreme, you know, mm-hmm. hell, even in next gen, they had a, you mentioned inner light, even next gen, there were a couple of episodes, at least one episode I can remember that kind of referenced, yeah. Yeah, they did. you know, that it did have this effect on his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's hard to, I mean, I guess it's hard for me to feel the relationship between um, Ichar and O'Brien because the scenes between them are um, short and far in between, you know, the, the, you know, they're, they're quick scenes, you know, we see them introduced and he shows them, then we see him, you know, show him how to do the, the sand drawings and then <clears throat> pretty much it's him killing him at the end of the scene and then, you know, the, all the hallucinations that, I, I, I don't know, I, I see where they were trying to go with it, but it, it's a lot to, it was a lot to do. Is is this a a good episode? Yeah, I I mean I yeah. still enjoyed it. I still like it. There's a mm-hmm. lot of feeling in it and everything like, like that. The I last just, episode we just discussed, um, <clears throat> the, the Klingon rules of engagement. Would you say that's a good episode? Rules of engagement? I'd say it's below average, especially for yeah. where we are in the series. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But this episode, you would say, is above average or good? Yeah, mm-hmm. I I, st- I would okay. say a little this, above. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I would say this episode still holds up, and it's one of the better mm-hmm. O'Brien episodes. You know, yeah, I think we're being very cri- very critical, but I think what may come down to is that O'Brien is a character that they—he's the everyman character. He's the one we're supposed to relate to consistently, and they may have just put this situation a little out of our realm of um, being able to relate. You know, it may just be too much, a little bit, a little bit. You know, and we we didn't mention it, but <clears throat> maybe it goes without saying. This is the annual torture O'Brien episode that, that DS9 does. Um, 
Well, you brought so, it. You brought up Inner Light a minute ago. When in that episode, we see um, Picard throughout pretty much the most of the episode interacting with these people and progressing along the way. We don't see that as much in this episode. And we do, and, we, and we shouldn't because that's that's <laughs> that's the punishment aspect of the hard time he's doing. That's the punishment aspect of being in this one little terrible cell for twenty years. Yeah, you know, Picard got to live out a happy life with the family and everything mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. very different yeah um, so for what this one's about to me it's it's probably in that last scene when and, and I like that Bashir is the one who saves him essentially mm-hmm. well he kind of saves himself but I think it's Bashir you know he at least in the context of this episode he might have actually pulled the trigger had Bashir not shown up um, so I like that it's his friend Bashir that, uh, that saves him um, our man Bashir I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and uh, O'Brien has the line about when I was younger, they used to tell us that humanity had evolved. Well, I'm showing that we're still animals. I'm showing that I'm still an animal because I repaid kindness with blood. And Bashir says, you are not an animal because an animal would not feel the guilt and remorse that you feel for you right now for your actions. Um, and maybe it's a little on the nose, but that's getting at what it's about for me, the whole episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd agree. Simple, straightforward. But yeah, and it's, uh, yeah. The, the the whole episode is about you know you can it's encapsulated in that last that last scene between Bashir and O'Brien. I'd agree. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I like can to move on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you said it all, Brian. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Give me my six degrees of hard time or I'll break every bone in your friendly body. <laughs> <laughs> so what is our score now? 2-0 or 3-0? What is yeah, it? 2-0. 2-0. 2-0. <laughs> um, is that right? 2-0? I think I stole one too. Did you? So it's 3-0. 3-0. I think, I think so, yeah. In that case, Adam, Margot Rose plays Kapar Rin, the... Our Grothy that gives O'Brien the memory of 20 years in prison. The gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> she also played Elin in Next Gen's fifth season, another episode of Trek where a character, Picard, lives decades in his mind. Name the episode. <laughs> Inner Light? That is correct. We talked about it a lot, obviously. Um, so, <laughs> hey, it's 3-1 now. Hey, don't get shut out. Yeah. Uh, Judy Durand plays the computer, as she frequently did for Cardassian computers on DS9, but she did provide the voice for what Federation facility in Star Trek Three? Hint, not a ship. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if I'd asked this like a couple seasons back, but anyway. Uh, I don't uh, I don't know. Um, she provided the voice for what Federation facility in Star Trek Three? not a ship. Federation facility in Star Trek Three. All right. Um, the computer voice. Okay. <clears throat> I, don't I don't know. Caesar. The facility in Star Trek Three. What does she play the voice for? You said not it's a not sh- a. Sh- you not said a it's not a ship. That's correct. Would it be the um, station, the space station that orbits Earth? Yes, space dock. Space dock. That is correct. Three, two. Yay. I was trying to think if they had actually sent him to a psychiatric ward or a jail. It was either that or the space dog. <laughs> All right, moving on. <clears throat> Genesis. Shattered Mirror, season four, episode 19, production number 492. Original air date, April 22nd, 1996. Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beimler. Directed by James L. Conway. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Felicia M. Bell as Jennifer Sisko, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Carlos Carrasco as Klingon officer, James Black as helmsman, Dennis Madalone as guard, and Andrew Robinson as Garrick. Jake can hardly believe his eyes when his father introduces him to mirror Jennifer Sisko, who has come to update Sisko, Captain Sisko, about the condition of the mirror universe. Sisko leaves the two of them alone for a while, but when he returns, Jennifer and Jake are nowhere to be found. 
All that remains is a small device which Cisco realized is used for transport to the mirror universe. Now Cisco must return to this universe to get Jake back, but when he gets there, he finds out that the rebels want something from him in return. We needed you to help us complete the ship. Smiley told me all about you, about your wife's death, about your son. I knew that Jake would want to meet me, that I'd remind him of his mother. You're nothing like his mother. I think Jake would disagree. Well, I love Garrick. <laughs> I really do. He has some very funny lines in this episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm trying. <laughs> this is a oh, look on around. his face when he gets stabbed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is an all-around uh, really fun episode. I like this. I like this episode, and it's funny because it starts off weird, but it quickly gets yeah. good. You know, how odd is it that opening? Just Jake walks in, you know, to uh, his quarters, and there's his, you know, dead mom talking <laughs> yeah. casually. It's so casual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like why didn't they warn him before he came home? So he's like in shock, you know? Yeah, and because he just called his, him up and like, hey, even if he had known that it was. The you know this woman from the mirror universe you know, all that said still yeah. for Cisco and obesity they're having such a casual conversation with this person who just traveled from a parallel universe <laughs> I don't know it just it, that yeah. that scene is so odd to me you know mm-hmm. I, I try to um, I, I imagine like um I don't know Roosevelt having his legs crossed with a and and having tea with Hitler what what <laughs> no, just, where, I what but after that after the opening scene uh, I like this episode a lot it's got a lot of cool action-y fun stuff it's got a lot of good character stuff um, well, uh, Caesar kick us off um, yeah this this show is like it's two, it has a, it has two different parts um, it's fun it's got a lot of cool action scenes it's but it has a lot of heart in it too and you see that towards the end of the episode mm-hmm. and what really I guess kind of hit me for the the whole thing is like you know they ha- you, with Cisco you especially in the first episode with the emissary we see Jennifer die and I know I'm jumping jumping ahead here but um yeah and then the end scene where we see Jennifer Cisco die again but it's Jake and um and Cisco together and you know that hug and that embrace in the end and I know we've all we've we've talked about this before the relationship that um not only the the characters have but um probably the actors have as well in real life um you see that and you feel it every time you know when there's something serious that goes on between the two of them in in a way that scene where Jennifer dies in a way they get to have some closure to her dying that they didn't get to have with their Jennifer Mm-hmm. It's true. You know, they're they're present when she's when she dies. He he has a very brief dialogue interchange with her, which is so different from, you know, the way his Jennifer died, already dead when he came there. She was stuck under the, mm-hmm. you know, debris, and he couldn't get her out, and she was already dead, and he didn't get to see her, and uh, you know, and they had to get out of the ship really fast. It was just yeah, yeah. chaotic. <clears throat> But yeah, that was a really touching scene for me. That kind of that, that I mean, that was my favorite ep- scene of the episode. Mm-hmm. I like the scene where um, <laughs> where Dax comes up. Does she slap Cisco or something? I forget. Something she like that. Him. Yeah, she Bashir, slaps Bashir him. Yeah, she hits him. Yeah. Oh right, Bashir hits him, and then the next scene, Dax slaps him and says, "That's for sleeping with me." Um, <laughs> you know, right? When I thought you were our Cisco. And then, didn't 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 Steve? Didn't you bring that up when we watched that last mirror episode? How that we made, talked about it. I know how we, we weren't about sure it. for sure that they'd had sex, but now we know. Yeah, right? we know. <laughs> but, but then Cisco says to Dax, "So wow, she says something else." Like, do you get my point? And he says, "I hope not," because it's yeah, the knife. Right, she has right. another line where where Cisco's response is, "You know, I didn't know because you hid it so well." <laughs> but what it sounded to me like he said was. <laughs> <laughs> you hit it so well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, there's another reference in this episode between Garrick and Worf. It's kind of a little puzzling. Yeah, you're like, oh, what? yeah, yeah. Well, you're not my type. And it's like, huh? says, yeah, he says, you're not my type. Well, because Garrick says, at least with the, Kira, the, you know, with the intendant, I was able to occasionally please her. I don't think <laughs> yeah. he meant sexually. But yeah, knows? and I didn't, it, but I didn't get the sexual reference until Worf says but you're not my type it's like huh <laughs> that's just the mirror universe what are you gonna do yeah yep. everyone everyone's just everybody <laughs> it's just that's what goes down in the mirror universe get it on 
as far as Go, go ahead, ahead. Brian. Go ahead. Well, at the very beginning, when you saw Jennifer, the first, do you did you immediately think Mirror Universe? Because that's what makes that opening even weirder to me is is seeing it not knowing. I mean, once you you're starting the episode on the DVD and you see it's called Shattered Mirror, of course you know it's a Mirror Universe thing. Mm-hmm. But the first time you ever see it, her sitting there, and them talking so casually, it was even more you know right. WTF to me well well I think you know even the first time we would have seen the trailer before we saw that title of the episode you know all this stuff that yeah. we, I would have just known because we she was in the last one and you know they had set her up before I mean if this was her like her first appearance ever mm-hmm. yeah that'd be different yeah. I well, kinda, cool. go ahead Rod. well I oh. mean I was just saying I, I I mean you know even back then I had a feeling we would we would see her again even after the because the mirror, I mean, they'd set up the mirror episodes as being, they were going to happen throughout the series. It wasn't, they didn't conclude mm-hmm. it. So I kind of had a feeling we'd see her again. This episode has a lot of um, cool effects work. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Like the Defiant flying around that huge Klingon ship, which is absurdly large, larger than any Klingon ship we've ever seen in the Prime Universe. Or wait, we can't call it that. Whatever we call it. <laughs> <laughs> normal universe yeah. although I'm going to complain about something that I know is like super nitpicky techie and I know you guys don't care but I'm going to complain about this just for a moment mm-hmm. it really bugs me that on those effect shots some of them are at 24 frames a second and some of them are at 30 frames a second and I don't understand <laughs> why uh, aside from the fact that obviously the entire show is shot at 24 so I prefer that all your effects were 24 I understand you know this is the mid 90s all computer work you know it was weird there were times when stuff was 30 I'm cool with that but at least you know they go from a shot that's 30 to a shot that's 24 maybe they had two effects houses working on these scenes but it, it does it does kind of bug me I would rather they were just all 24 yeah it does it does look there's parts that I didn't really nail it down like that but I knew that something looked odd in some of the effects okay. shots yeah well good transition. I'm not the only one that was bugged by that then you know what I was more offended by the fact that the the Defiant, this is a new Defiant that's still being ready tested, was able to take on all these Klingon ships. And what was it, two episodes before? What was it? We were watching the um, Rules of Engagement. The Klingon, the Defiant even couldn't destroy an old Klingon ship in a, in a little bird of prey. It was having trouble with it. Was... Defiant. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of cool, though, seeing the, this Defiant being actually built at the docking port there. You mm-hmm. know, and kind of see like a cutaway looking thing. Um, yeah. hmm. uh, what else do you guys want to talk about in this one before we get to what it's about um, I like the, the leather that Nara wears or Kira oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I think we can all enjoy, enjoy that yeah. yes I love the scene with her and um, oh who is the stunt actor Madel- Dennis Madelon the- oh yes yeah. the one eyed guy yeah, so he does the one-eyed guy again, and uh, <laughs> she says she kind of implies that you know if he lets the force fill down to release her, that they can have sex. Or yeah, something. and then he says, "You sentenced my wife to death." And then she says, "What a coincidence! I was hoping you weren't married." <laughs> That's funny. That was funny. Oh my god, it's pretty. It's pretty cold. <laughs> and then Nog comes in there and saves her. I remember the. I do remember the first time I saw Nog coming in there and. And taking the guard down and releasing her, it was just immediately like as soon as he gave her the gun, you're like, she's going yeah. to shoot him. I mean, yeah, the, the, the Ferengi are like the red-shirted, um, um, oh, it, original, universe, yeah, yeah, because every time there's a, a Ferengi gets killed. <laughs> yeah, the first Mirror Universe we saw, or no, was it? Yeah, was that the one where Cork was killed, and then the next yeah. one, Rom was killed. Yes, now mm-hmm. Nog. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not very safe. Oh, good, you, Ferengi in the Mirror Universe. Yeah. So who's going to run the bar now? Yeah. <laughs> more, <laughs> more. Yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> uh, for this, for yeah, what this is about, you talked about it at the, at the beginning of our conversation, but I definitely think it's it's uh, this chance for them to have closure. Um, I like that that last scene where uh, Cisco is talking to Jennifer on her deathbed. And she says, now earlier there was a scene where she said, there was a connection between us when we first met, wasn't there? But now I think maybe it's gone. And Cisco says, I'm not sure it was ever real to begin with. And and we've seen several scenes in this episode. Uh, the scene in 
I don't know if that's her quarters or whatever quarters they're in when she's like massaging him on his shoulders. Um, when, you know, it's just clear he repeatedly, he is not willing to let himself look at her as his wife or, yeah. you know, because it would just be too hard for him. Um, but in this last scene, as she's dying, you know, she says, I knew we were still connected, Ben. And his response is always, you know, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you guys think this one's about? I think he was being sincere. I mean, I think he was. I think you're right. He was denying um, those feelings and that, uh, I guess, attraction, for lack of a better word, because he knew it wasn't something that was ever going to really work out. But in the end, I mean, you know, he 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 faced it and he told her how he really felt. He was able to have the closure. I mean, you know, obviously. At the heart of this episode, as much fun as it is at times, um, it's it's really about closure for Cisco and, and Jake, to, to me at least. It is a pretty sad closing there. That last shot, kind of the overhead wide shot where you see her on their bed, and you see the uh, you know, Cisco and Jake together. Mm-hmm. It's effective, you know. Mm-hmm. It's effective without being too emotional for a which what's really a you know action romp, and it, and it's. You know, they never waste their time in the mirror universe in Deep Space Nine. They never go there without having a really good reason for going there, without really having something happen, mm-hmm. you know, without letting it be about something. Um, and that's that's great. And that's the reason it's such a treat when they do go. And it mm-hmm. never gets old, and you're, you're excited when they do it. And they only do it, you know, at best once a season. There's one if more. That, isn't there? there's, there's at least one more, right? At least one, maybe two, but there's definitely one more. And there's one where isn't um, Baral's character comes over? Yeah, right, right. Oh, yeah. Episode holds up for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, of, of the episodes we talked about today, um, what was the first one we talked about today? Uh, a session. Yeah, mm-hmm. a session, not so good. Rules of engagement, not so good. Hard time. I, I really uh, appreciate and respect because it shoots aims it aims so high, but maybe it was just aiming too high. You know, tried <clears throat> tried to bite off a little more than it could chew. Uh, but Shattered Mirror, I really like this episode. I think it's really mm-hmm. fun and uh, it's it has something to say. It has something for everybody in this episode. It's got a little comedy. It's got action. You know, it's got heart mm-hmm. and meat. Yeah. Um, I would agree. What was it? The first episode. The first episode was more to me was more about progressing the whole storyline forward. Yeah. yeah. Component. Which is like I said, the, the, that as, as session I, I really like the first 30, 35 minutes, mm-hmm. then it kind of falls off. But this episode, very good, um, and it has something to say. And now we are going to say six degrees for shattered mirror. What is our current score? Three two. I believe so. Okay, Adam, you're behind. Do you want number one or number two? Um, I'll go number two. Okay, Steve. This is Felicia Bell's third appearance as a Jennifer, assuming you count Emissary, the pilot, as one episode. Mm-hmm. How many times does she appear as Jennifer or Mirror Jennifer? Total number of appearances. Three, four, or five? Hmm. Well, um, obviously, this is the third, and she dies in the Mirror Universe, at least. The I'm, I'm, I'm racking my brain here. There definitely could be reappearances, you know, and in, in, in I'm gonna say four. Uh, no. All right. Um, What's three? Three is the correct answer. This is her last appearance. Um, can you name the just for a bonus there? Can you name the three episodes that she did? Well, um, obviously emissary. Yep. Um. Mirror, what's shattered it? mirror? So what was shattered the other mirror? One? Oh, what yeah. was the other one? Um, through the looking glass. There I am. Yeah, there <laughs> easy enough. Uh, so what is our score now? Three, three. Mm-hmm. I believe so. Oh my gosh, Adam, go for this it. This is your chance to win it. To claim glory. <laughs> it will be a glorious battle in the courtroom. Carlos. Carrasco plays the Klingon officer that nearly gets Garrick killed when he temporarily loses Garrick's key. The last time we saw him, he played Degore, 
on DS9 in the House of Quark, where he would have killed Quark had Gowron not stopped him. What season was that? That would be season number three. You are correct. It was season three. Yay! Mm-hmm. Just barely, it was like the third episode of season three, so I thought maybe yeah. I'll get you guys on that one. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so, what? A comeback! That was Yay! almost like the, the cards is the wild cards. <laughs> <clears throat> Even though I wasn't rooting for the Cardinals, yeah, there's my revenge. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So we are going to be back in a couple of weeks, but uh, our next two podcasts, we are just going to do three episodes of DS9, just because there's six episodes left of season four. So in two weeks, we'll do the next three episodes, and then two weeks after that, we'll do the final three episodes of season four. Alrighty. And you guys, in a month, we're going to finish season four, and we'll be in season five. (laughs) We'll be in full holiday swing, too. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's been almost a year since we started this thing. Yeah, did we start December or November last year? We actually recorded our first episode in the, like the first week of December, but we didn't post. We didn't start posting episodes until uh, January. Yeah, I guess uh, that is right. It was at Trey's wedding where you asked me. So it's been a year since. Right, that's Trey's right. Trey's wedding, October last year. Yeah, he still hasn't joined us either. That little punk. I know. I've I've asked him a couple of times, and every time you know something came up. I mean, important things, but stuff came yeah. up. But at least now the DS9 is on Netflix streaming. It should be really easy for anybody. And you know what? Hey, if any of our listeners are interested in joining us, let me know. You know, maybe we can talk on Skype. Obviously, you're going to need to be uh, available on Skype. Maybe we can talk a little bit first and then, you know, hey, who knows if any, somebody wants to join us. Um, so we will see you in two weeks for the next three episodes of DS9 Season 4. Awesome. Take it easy. See you. Bye, guys. Oh, wait, wait. How silly of me. Please leave a review on iTunes. That would be awesome. You can contact us via email at trekcompanion at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Trek Companion, or at, at Trek Companion. And we also have a Facebook listener page, which is uh, facebook.com slash Trek Companion. But if you left us a review on iTunes, actually click the little star button, leave a review about how awesome we are. Um, that would be the coolest thing. Okay, now we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.